Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined again after a week's absence by my co-editor, Catherine Rubino. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am good, uh, as well as can be expected. Uh, we uh, missed you last week, but we had a very interesting discussion you about did. Did. government and so on. And now we're going to get into more of the nuts and bolts of government today, because we're going to be talking about elections. Well, it is sort of the thing that everyone is worried about and focused on, and it seems very timely, to say the least. Exactly. Uh, and I also found that I was getting a lot of questions from people who uh, say, just people I know who aren't in the legal community yeah. who say, oh, you know, you're a mm-hmm. lawyer. Explain to me how this works. And I go, oh, I, I don't know. A hundred percent. My best friend from growing up's mom, who recently re- got registered to vote for the first time ever. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty awesome, but very concerned about absentee balloting and <laughs> ran me through all of the, her options. Um, but I was like, this is the best of my understanding. I'll come back to you in a week or so when I get more information. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it's just one of those things people are worried about. And the other things that people are worried about, are you worried about a contract deadline? Contract Tools by Paper Software is the most powerful, versatile, and full-featured Microsoft Word add-in for contracts. For less than a dollar a day, Contract Tools can help you navigate complex legalese, fix common contract drafting problems, and much more. See for yourself with a seven-day free trial. Go to papersoftware.com forward slash trial and get started today. That was as seamless as I thought I could Yeah, do I mean, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. So uh, today we are, as we said, we're going to be talking about elections. So we brought back, uh, for those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, Friend of the show. you will <laughs> recognize a routine guest. We brought back uh, Professor Rick Hassan from UCI Law, who is now, uh, now helping out at CNN uh, with their election law coverage. Welcome. Great to be with you again. <laughs> yeah. So actually, that's, let's start with the again part. So right after the Iowa caucuses, we had you on and we talked a little bit about that screw up. And the real <laughs> theme at the time for you was, because uh, you just put out a new book and it was perfect timing, but your theme was that we need more education in this country mm-hmm. about the way in which elections, you know, aren't going to be, you know, they, we we had kind of a lack of patience and we believe everything has to happen now or else it's it's somehow broken and mm-hmm. we needed to train people better about the actual process. So how is that going? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Well, you know, when we had our discussion it was the before times. Right. Yes. And I you know I was already worried. My book is entitled Election Meltdown for a reason. Uh I mean I'm worried about uh the way we run our elections and um if we make it through November successfully, it won't be because we've made enough improvements. It'll be because we got lucky. Uh, mm-hmm. But now with the coronavirus, I feel like things are just so much worse. So yeah. ordinarily, you wouldn't see a state like uh, Pennsylvania or Michigan that has moved to allowing anyone to vote by mail to have a, just a, a flood of ballots. But now they're going to. And Unlike places that vote all by mail, like Washington or Utah, or places that have a lot of vote by mail, like California or Arizona, there are going to be some places where they've had almost no vote by mail, where it's just exploding. Mm -hmm. And that's going to create a whole bunch of difficulties, as is trying to vote in person, because 
polling places are going to be consolidated. You can't use the assisted living center as the polling right. location. You can't find the poll workers because who wants to sit in an indoor space with a bunch of strangers for 14 hours? Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of challenges uh, that are out there. And so, uh, and, and there's not adequate funding because Congress uh, is not providing enough funding and the costs are going to be there. So things are going to be sloppier. And so things are just much worse than when we spoke in February. Oh, I was, I was, one half of me was hoping that the <laughs> pandemic was going to have the slight positive effect of no one really in their right mind believes that we're going to have election results immediately on November, uh, November, like at, at 8 PM, we will find yeah, out everything, which, we have results in. which was one of the problems was that people had become accustomed to that. And I thought, oh, well, knowing that mo voting by mail is out there, maybe people will be a little more understanding that it's going to take a few days. But yeah, no, you just you just listed a whole bunch of other worse problems. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is possible that we will, by the time uh, at least uh, those of us on the West Coast go to sleep, but we will know who's won the election. But that will be not an official call. You know, official results of an election don't come until weeks later. Mm -hmm. um, there are always errors made in terms of sending in vote totals. Things have to be double-checked. Ballots that were sent by mail, including military ballots, need to be counted. But if there's enough evidence that uh, those who study in detail election patterns can say who's won, uh, then we might know the winner. And so unlike Pennsylvania, which does not have a history of being able to process vote-by-mail ballots quickly, Florida does. If, say, mm -hmm. Biden wins Florida, then... It could be an early night. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we there's no way we're going to know. But I think we have to prepare for disaster. And disaster would be a, such a close election that we don't know and a, and a protracted administrative and legal and potentially political fight over who's won the election. Yeah, I know we've uh, heard a lot about sort of a, a blue shift that it's very likely if or possible at the very least that, you know, the, the person who has the most votes on election day uh, will not ultimately be declared the winner um, and that a lot of these mail-in or absentee ballots can potentially shift the presumed winner from, from red to blue. Do you have um, any thoughts about that and how sort of the education on those issues are, is going nationwide? So we issued a report, uh, an ad hoc committee of leaders in law, tech, media, and politics uh, called Fair Elections During a Crisis. And you could mm -hmm. Google that term, Fair Elections During a Crisis, and you'll find our report. Uh, and, you know, we made two related recommendations about this. You know, one is that uh, the media needs to educate about uh, things being too early to call. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this, that's, you know, what we, we've talked about. But also that uh, partial vote totals are not necessarily going to be predictive of the winner. Mm -hmm. And this is the so-called blue shift. So in 2018, in the congressional races in Southern California, where I live, I believe there were seven races where Republicans were ahead on election night where Democrats ultimately won those races. Now, you mm -hmm. might say, well, why is that? Does that indicate some kind of cheating? And there's no evidence of cheating. There's only evidence that Democrats tend to vote later than Republicans, and Democrats made a big push to have uh, ballots cast early, including by mail. Mm -hmm. And so as those later arriving ballots came in, they were disproportionately Democratic. If that's the pattern we see, uh, and there's reason to believe that we're going to see that pattern even more as Trump discourages his own supporters from voting by mail by casting doubts over the integrity of the system, 
then it is possible that Trump's ahead uh, in Pennsylvania or another state on election night only to see as Philadelphia finally gets its vote totals in, or or Detroit and Michigan, that Biden's won. And so there has been, I think, a fair amount of education. Now, you know, most people, they don't, they're not political junkies like I am, (laughs) like you guys are, and you're reading every story. Oh, look what Vox just posted. Uh, It's so exciting. Um, Most people are going to get this along the way. And so, you know, I hope that the news will penetrate through, and I hope that all of the networks and major media organizations are prepared to keep repeating these messages as people come online to paying attention to the election. Uh, We've certainly given enough information to election officials uh, and to media and social media companies that they should be prepared for what's coming and prepare the public for it. So I guess actually you mentioned Trump. I think we should go back to one one really burning question that we don't really have a great answer to. Um, I know that some legal luminaries have been asked about it. Um, is it legal for you to vote twice? Um, <laughs> the, the the attorney general didn't have an answer. So uh, just just can you do that? So in uh, uh, the short answer is no. In, <laughs> under both, the long under both federal yeah. law and state law. Now. If somebody goes to the polling place because they voted by mail and they're worried that they didn't get confirmation, as you can in many states, you know, mm-hmm. that their vote was received, and they say, look, I don't know if my vote was received, and, and they cast uh, what's called a provisional ballot, a ballot that's held on the side until mm-hmm. they determine whether or not it's valid, uh, that's, I don't think that's going to be a crime, mm-hmm. um, you know, at least uh, to the extent that these are, uh, we're talking about willful violations of the law. But it's a pretty bad idea to do this. Uh, my advice to everyone is not vote early and often, but vote early. If you vote early in person or you vote early by mail, in many states uh, where, with vote by mail, you can get some confirmation that your ballot's been received. And then, and then you can relax on election day knowing your job is done in terms of voting. So, oh, yeah. uh, but, but, that, but it's just uh, uh, this idea that, uh, that Trump put out there that you're going to test the system by voting more than once. <laughs> is profoundly irresponsible because it's going to increase the already long lines at polling places. It's going to decrease people's trust in the process. And it's potentially opening up some people to committing felonies, which is just completely irresponsible. Well, you know, it'd be, this gets to some of the logistical questions that people ask me and say, oh, you're a lawyer. What, how does this work? And I have to say, I don't know. When you mention confirmation, uh, so... We've heard, you know, oh, there's confirmation. And one thing that somebody asked me was, well, how does that work and my ballot still be secret? And I hazarded at a guess, but I didn't really know, but I tried to work something out. But how do you get confirmation that your ballot's received while it still remains secret? And and how do they keep track of where it is at all times? Sure. So every state has their own rules. So I can only speak generally about what many states do. Uh, this is one of the features of a of an election system with 10,500 different uh, election administrators simultaneously running an election. Sounds so terrible. <laughs> uh, Even in the best of times. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to sound cheerful. Uh, <laughs> but the most common thing is that there's tracking on the outer envelope. Ballot mm-hmm. tracking like a barcode. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so your ballot is scanned when it goes out. It has tracking on it through the postal service if you're turning it that way, or you're putting it in a drop box, it gets scanned when it arrives back in. 
And they're processing the outer envelope, not the inside secrecy envelope where you put your ballot, but the outside envelope that has your signature or your identification information, the kind of anti-fraud provisions that the president pretends don't exist with mail-in ballots. And after they've confirmed that your signature matches or whatever it is, then it'll be recorded that your ballot has been received and accepted. The ballot will then be taken out of the envelope, not connected to your name, and will be put into a pile for counting. So that's how you preserve both the secret ballot and the ability to know that your ballot has been received and is ready to go. Okay, good. So now that brings to the next question is, when people talk about these drop boxes that some jurisdictions are putting together, I was asked, how do we know how secure those are? Uh, I don't know if, are those drop boxes actually in government buildings and secure locations, or are they taken away every night or something like it just somebody was really freaked out about the security of the Dropbox process. So we have 10,500. Of course. (laughs) I have to play that part of the tape. Uh, So everything's different. Some places, no Dropbox is allowed, right? Um, uh, And a lot of places you're allowed to drop off your your ballot at the polling place, which is, of course, uh, in the presence of of election workers, election officials. Um, These Dropboxes are typically in public locations, the ones that are on the street. If they're not in a government building, they're outside. Uh, there's often video surveillance of these mm-hmm. uh, locations. And, uh, you know, there's there are boxes like mailboxes, so people, someone can't reach in and uh, get them, and, you know, and, and they're fireproof. You know, I mean, they, we know that people might want to tamper with ballots, and so uh, they're designed so that they're secure and in a location where people won't be able to tamper with them. It's almost like people have thought about this before, huh? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, I was peppering the election officials who run Los Angeles and Orange counties, two huge uh, Los Angeles, the largest election of, uh, jurisdiction in the country, with questions that people have been sending me. What if I try to cheat this way? What if I try to cheat that way? And it's like, no, we've thought of that. You know, we, we <laughs> you're not that not clever. The, uh, it's like, uh, you know, we've been around this block before. People have designed these systems. Uh, there, you know, uh, when fraud happens with absentee ballots. Um, it's typically that it's not in the presence of election officials. It's ballots stolen out of mailboxes or people being paid to vote in a particular way. These tend to be isolated instances. When they do happen in any kind of larger scale, they involve a conspiracy among a lot of people. And they're usually pretty easy to detect because if you go to vote and you're, you're said, no, no, you voted already. Well, then, you know, then that becomes a way of uh, finding this out. And so the idea that you'd be able to trick the system and swing the vote in Pennsylvania uh, with thousands of absentee ballots and not be detected is extremely unrealistic, if you know anything about how these systems are actually run. That's, a, that's something that I've said in the past that I think is true, but this is a good time to test it, which is that all this concern about voter fraud marring a presidential election is somewhat uh, somewhat outlandish. If fraud exists, it's, you know, your Dog regional supervisor or whatever, where like an election can really be turned on 50 votes here and there. But in trying to coordinate millions of votes to go the other way, it's just really tough to uh, see somebody stealing that many out of mailboxes. And even that, you know, if you go and you look at lists of actual cases, so the Heritage Foundation has this list of every case since 1982 that they found, many of which turn out to not be fraud at all. But, you know, it's an over-inclusive list. Or you look at this very good database that the News 21 organization put of every 
prosecution between 2000 and 2012 that was uh, made by uh, American uh, prosecutorial offices. Uh, in, in that database, there are 491 cases, and the vast majority of them involve one-off things, like somebody mailed in an absentee ballot application for someone who didn't request it, or we just had this case in L.A., Guy forged his mother's his dead mother's signature and voted in three elections by mail in 2012, 2014, 2016. It's a crime. The guy's going to be punished for it, but it's not going to swing an election. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could have an election that's decided by one vote. The odds of that happening in the presidential campaign are so tiny. Uh, you know, even Bush versus Gore was uh, came down to 500 votes. You know, the idea that you're going to do this on a you know major major scale. Uh, extremely unrealistic. I don't know about that. Bush v. Gore, I think, was a 5-4 vote. But, uh... <laughs> well, vote. the conservatives say it was 7-2. to two. Uh, yeah. Fair. The only, they, they say, the, uh, as, as a remedies teacher, I was very offended by this line. Uh, the, uh, they say, you know, seven justices agree there were protection problems. The only disagreement is as to the remedy. So <laughs> other than what the court's ordering, you know, we're, 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 we're perfectly lined up. <laughs> Well, this is a good time to read another uh, brief message, which is how have law firms weathered previous economic downturns and come out stronger on the other side? LexisNexis Interaction has released an in-depth global research report confronting the 2020 downturn lessons learned during previous economic crises. Download your free copy at interaction.com slash like a lawyer to see tips, strategies, plans, and statistics from leaders who have been through this before and how they've reached success again. All right. So, so I mean, I want to turn for a minute back to election night and election day. Um, I think that it's it's kind of been circled on lots of folks' this calendar with a bit of apprehension. Um, and there's there's a lot of things, um, I imagine, that you're looking for that day. We talked a little bit briefly already about Florida, that if, you know, Florida is able to make a call quickly and efficiently, that might sort of, you know, predict how the rest of uh, the election is going to go. What are the other sort of key things that you're looking for on election day that will be either in good indications that everything's going according to plan, um, you know, it, whether it's to the sanctity of the election generally or about, you know, the candidates in particular, or what, what are the things that you kind of have your eye out for that day? Uh, let me just clarify on Florida. It's only if Biden wins that sure. I well, think of course. that sure. would be quick. If it's a Trump victory, uh, then we'll be looking to other states. Um, sure. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing is, I mean, really, um, it comes down to the margin of, of victory. Mm-hmm. Um, we're voting, as I'm sure your listeners recall, with with an electoral college uh, total, right? So you have to get to 270 electoral college votes. It doesn't matter for purposes of choosing the president if one side or the other runs up the score. In fact, there was reporting recently in the New York Times that the Trump campaign has given up on trying to win the popular vote, right? So you know, you might say that the electoral college system is unfair, but that's the system we have now. And so, so we're looking at the states that are going to matter to the electoral college map. Mm-hmm. We're looking at, you know, is it a state that has easily produced results on election night? Is it a state that has seen many more people voting by mail? And how many of those mail ballots have been returned and are outstanding? One of the things that Ohio just announced recently is that they're going to, when they release their vote totals, uh, they're going to say, uh, here's how many 
absentee ballots have not yet been returned. And I think that's something that that, that kind of reporting is very helpful, mm-hmm. rather than saying 100% of precincts reporting. When you see that language, that's only referring to in-person voting, at, at least in most places. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll be looking to see what's still left to be counted. And, you know, I'm not the expert that can say, oh, well, look at this county, the, you know, this, the vote's still out in this county, and they lean heavily Trump or Biden or something like that. I, I can't tell you that. But that's, that's kind of the kind of question that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Now, if it turns out that by the time I go to sleep on the West Coast, we don't know who's won Pennsylvania, then everyone's going to be looking at their copy of the Pennsylvania election code. Uh, everyone's going to be zeroing in on Philadelphia. There's going to be a press conference where they're going to talk about how many ballots are left to be counted. You're going to have claims by the parties about what's going on. You're going to have reports of problems because there are always problems in every election. And this election, there are going to be more problems because it's um, coronavirus. And there's going to be a lot of disinformation. And so one of the things I'm going to be looking at is for election officials and government officials to be out there correcting misinformation because it's so easy for people to believe that which uh, is on their side. You know, the mail truck that got hijacked, the, uh, the, the ballots that were found in somebody's trunk. You know, you hear this, someone voted 20 times. You hear all of these stories and the allegations always get much more attention than the corrections that come later. Sure. One thing that happened here in New York in our primaries was that we had a race where they just didn't count a bunch of ballots for weeks on end, it seemed, because we had we had a rule in place that the that the absentee ballots couldn't even be looked at until after everything else had been counted. And that, of course, in under our current conditions, led to that dragging out a long time. I, I've heard rumblings of certain jurisdictions saying they're going to change their rules and start counting absentees as they receive them just so they don't get caught up in a flood. Is that something that more states should do, or is there a reason why they should stick with the procedures that they know rather than try and make a change? So let's differentiate between the counting of the ballots and the processing of the ballots. Okay. I don't think there should be any counting before Election Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, counting doesn't really take that long. Uh, assuming you're using machines that scan, uh, you know, these are typically you fill them in with a pen or a pencil, they're scanned by an optical scanner and the results pop out. Mm-hmm. That doesn't take all that long. What takes a long time is the processing of the ballots before, when we were talking about earlier the, the barcodes and right. all of that. They're checking your signature in some states. They have computer software that initially checks your signature. If it passes, your ballot goes on to the next step. If it doesn't, there's a, a human visual check. If there's a problem that your ballot is rejected because your signatures don't match, and, and that happens a, a fair amount because you know a lot of people's signatures change over time, or they've signed their signature for their voter registration on one of those electronic pin pads at the DMV, where you know it's very hard to create a good signature. Uh, in a lot of states, you have the chance to cure your ballot. You're contacted by election officials and given a chance to come in and say, "No, that's really my signature." The more that that pre-counting stuff can happen before Election Day, the better off we're going to be. And there's now a fight in both Michigan and Pennsylvania with Republicans opposing allowing the processing of these absentee ballots before Election Day. I think it's a crucial change that should be made because that change means there will be less pressure on election officials on Election Day and we're more likely to get more results more quickly. 
We, we definitely want that. We don't need the count before Election Day, but we do need as many of those ballots processed as possible. And with people voting early, there's going to be plenty of work that election officials could do before Election Day to get us in the position to get us, get us to a quicker vote with integrity in the processing and the counting of the ballots. So another COVID-related question, which may not, which actually, this one I felt pretty ashamed of not knowing an answer <laughs> to, because even though I've lived in New York for a long time at this point. I'm originally from Oregon, so I've lived through an entity that votes entirely by mail. And I was asked, well, with COVID and all these people getting evicted uh, around the country, what's going to happen with them if if everything's tied to your mailing address? And I went, huh, I have no idea what the plan is in that sort of a situation. Uh, is that something that uh, you've been hearing rumblings about, about uh, what happens when people are being kicked out of their homes? Right. Well, you know, there's, there's that concern, and there's a concern about people who are already homeless and how they're going to vote. Now, the thing is, uh, there are steps that, that people who are evicted or are homeless can take in order to be able to vote. Uh, there are procedures in place. Uh, even in states like Oregon, where people can vote in person if they uh, are not at a, uh, a, a, they don't have the ability to receive vote by mail, or or maybe they have a disability and they can't vote the ballot as it's as as it's sent in uh, the mail. Um, but the reality is that for a lot of these people, if you're homeless, voting might be the last thing on your mind. And so one of the problems we have uh, is that turnout is very low among people in economic distress, and. Yes, more steps need to be taken to try to reach out to those people because uh, they have the same right to vote as everyone else and they shouldn't be disenfranchised because they're in poor economic circumstances. But I think it's unrealistic to expect that voting is going to be at the top of the list of someone whose belongings are being tossed out onto the street. That makes sense. Yeah, I just, the the person who asked me that question just said that, you know, they'd read something about how in, I think it was in Houston, they're about to start evicting like a hundred thousand people from or like from various rentals, and he was like, "Well, what's what's going to happen to them if they try to get an absentee ballot?" And well, I, I honestly <laughs> didn't know. Um, but yeah, that's that's interesting, and uh, and obviously true that they have bigger concerns. But cool, that's pretty much all my questions. I don't know if Catherine, do you have anything else? Or? Well, I mean, I, I guess you know, is there any sort of takeaway um, that people who are apprehensive about the election? Um, can have, or are there any sort of, what, what, what can the average person do to ameliorate any of these ongoing concerns without, you know, us able to necessarily change the laws in time? Well, first, for, for yourself personally, have a voting plan. Mm-hmm. How are you going to vote? When are you going to vote? Vote as early as you can once your mind is made up and you have your ballot or your ability to go vote in person. So I think having a personal voting plan is important because our elections are so decentralized you can kind of try to influence your local election administrators to make sure they have good plans in place to be transparent about their voting process, to make sure that voters have access to be able to vote and that there is a a process by which the vote counting and all of this can be done transparently. And third, avoid disinformation and misinformation. It's so easy uh, when we're in our echo chambers, uh, everyone uh, working for their team, uh, to think, uh, you know, any news that indicates the other side is cheating must be true. Uh, bef- before you retweet or you share or like or whatever it is that you get to or swipe, whatever whatever it is you're doing on your <laughs> social media uh, platform of choice, uh, make sure that you're not 
part of the problem by spreading misinformation, disinformation, look for reliable sources of news because there's going to be a fog of disinformation in the event that things are close. People are going to try to influence things by putting uh, bad information out there. Yeah. And, you know, on that, you know, making sure you have the correct information, um, is there a place where, you know, a lot of rules are are currently in flux at the moment in different jurisdictions or they've really recently updated the rules? Is there uh, where should folks be looking for their local jurisdiction? Is there a sort of clearinghouse or sort of where, where are the most reliable sources to find the most up to date voting information for individuals? Well, the um, usually the secretary of state or chief mm-hmm. election officer's website of each state will have something on their website where you can put in your address or your zip code, and it will take you to your local election administrator's page where you can get information. Mm-hmm. Um, there are also a number of uh, websites uh, like uh, USA.gov uh, will get you uh, some of this information. Mm-hmm. And the Washington Post has recently set up uh, a website uh, which uh, helps you, you know, first ask you where you live and then how you're planning on voting, and we'll tell you what your options are, and we'll link to the appropriate official websites to get that information. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. So everyone go out, do that, figure out what's going on. Do your due diligence before. (laughs) Vote, vote as soon as you can uh, to help out the whole system. You're, uh, you're Mm -hmm. part of the stress on the system. So alleviate that as much as you can. Uh, These seem to be the takeaways I'm, I'm uh, getting from this. So I'll dutifully make that my election plan. Yeah. Flat, (laughs) flatten the absentee ballot curve. There we go. There we go. <laughs> that's yeah. a concept that hopefully people understand. There, no, uh, they don't. No, no they that's don't. fair. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that was far too, far too uh, hopeful. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> great. Well, great as always to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. That was Professor Rick Hassan from UCI Law and the Great Election Law blog. Uh, check him out also on CNN where he'll be talking about uh, the all election, <laughs> all things election, all the time. And thank you all for listening. You should subscribe to the show if you haven't already. That way you get new episodes when they come out. You should give it a review, not just the stars. Write something. It helps. Uh, you should be what uh, listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine's show about diversity in law firms and law schools. And you should be listening to our special reports about how COVID is unexpectedly changing the law at the ATL COVID cast, uh, all the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Thank you again to Paper Software for sponsoring the show. Check out Contract Tools and the seven-day free trial. And with all of that said, I think we're now done and we will and check vote. In- Remember to vote. Yes, yes. And we'll check in with everybody next week. Bye. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.